0: Hi everyone, glad you're here today. So for those of you who've been hanging around for this month, you'll know we're using spiritual economics by uh, Eric Butterworth to sort of guide us through a month of prosperity consciousness, of talking about the power of abundance in our lives and how we might make some Subtle or not so subtle changes in our thinking to allow us to see more of the good on the planet, to allow us to usher in a, a better frame of mind for receiving abundance, uh, receiving love, receiving joy in our lives. So Today's no different. And in fact, this chapter, we're up to chapter nine, it really zeros in on something that we don't talk about that often in church specifically. It's a whole chapter about money. And so, yeah, some of you were already going, oh, that's interesting. (laughs) Wish I would have known that. (laughs) But to get there, I want to start by turning the clock back about 100, no, let's make it 200 years, back to about 1800. The reason I want to do this is not so much a history lesson about money as it is a history lesson about our relationship to money. What money was like a couple hundred years ago? You'll see, Hopefully you'll see where I'm going with this. So let's say it's about 200 years ago, and we've decided to go into town to get some groceries. So we saddle up the horses, get the wagon, into town. But of course, there's no supermarket. There's no Fred Meyer. So a little ways outside of town, we would uh, meet up with a bunch of other people, similarly with wagons, filled with stuff and for those of you who go to some of the local uh, farmers markets it might have looked a little bit like that with a big exception and that is everybody brings and everybody buys so so literally you know whether your family maybe uh, made candles or or did preserves or had an orchard or whatever especially this time of year it would be kind of like a big swap meet slash farmer's market, slash grocery shopping. And what I think would have been kind of cool about it, now don't get me wrong, I'm not one of those people that dwells on the the good old days, because i got to tell you, getting there in the covered wagon kind of thing wouldn't have been necessarily a good old day. And and the fact that the house we came from had a dirt floor might not have been a good old day. But I think what was interesting was our perception of commerce at that time was very relationship-based. People knew that you're the ones that had those really good Gravenstein apples. Do you know what I mean? And you knew that the best potatoes were were in the family on the south side of town. And you had relationships with all these people. It wasn't just a a meaningless interchange. It really was catching up on the gossip of the day, catching up on how your crops had gone, catching up on what was really a good bargain. And you also had a sense of the stuff that you brought along to do your bargaining and sales, you really had a sense of value of what you had done. The efforts of your land and and your own hands and the, the sweat of your own brow, so to speak, was invested with a lot of your love and personality in what you were selling too. And when you think of it, it was as though each person kind of bringing their best to bear during this time of year when everybody would would set their sights on getting through the winter right now the other thing that may have happened, so, so we swapped the things we could swap and we purchased from each other the things we could purchase. There are still things, though, that don't come locally, right? And so you might have to make the trip further into town that day to go to the dry goods store or some other store. And what's interesting is even there, even if you went into the dry goods store to buy five pounds of sugar, much like today, you might have said, oh my God, what's with this? Sugar's twice as expensive as last time I came. But have you tried that at Fred Meyer lately? They're like, "Oh, if you, if you say so. But back then, you would have got a different story. The, the, the woman or the fellow behind the counter would have said, oh, yeah, didn't you know? Jamaica's really having a hard-hit year, and, and a lot of the sugarcane crops failed. That's why it's so expensive. It's actually in a short supply. And you know what? It isn't going to get better this whole season. And so I, as a consumer at that time, would have went, oh, that's interesting. Maybe I need to plan for sweet pickles instead of dill pickles. Maybe for Thanksgiving instead of the pecan pie. Maybe we'll have some savory tarts or something, right? And it wouldn't have been that I couldn't have afforded the sugar, but I intrinsically would have realized it didn't have quite as much value to me as the price on it. I would have had that sense because knowing what my budget is, knowing I have to go through the winter, you know, knowing that maybe if I stocked up on some potatoes or some other things that were cheaper that would that would, do you see where I'm going with this? There was a real day-to-day sense of what I needed, what the value of things were, what my contribution to the planet was. All right, let's fast forward 200 years and I'm going to kick off our talking about modern relationships with money with a joke. All right. So Harry staggers, exhausted into his house. What's wrong with you, asks his wife Margot. Well, didn't you hear, says Harry. They raised the price of a max ticket to $2.50. So I thought I'd make us a few dollars just by running behind the train. Uh, well, Margot thinks for a minute. Well, you're crazy, she says. We could need more money than that. You should have run behind a taxi. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's kind of a groaner. Sorry about that. But, but you know what? I think that our current relationship with money makes just about as much sense as that. I think often we're in a love-hate relationship with money as though... It were in charge of our lives. When you listen to people in the supermarkets, when you listen to people paying their bills, when people talk about money in general, it's almost like it's me against the money, not the money being a a tool that I use, not the money as something that I can count on, not the money as a reflection maybe of the value that I have created in earning the money, but what I hear is, oh, there's never enough of it. What I hear is, these things cost too much. What I, what I hear is, uh, you know, the money is up and gone away. It's as though it has a life of its own, and it's over there where I'm not. <laughs> Those are the kind of messages that I get. It's as though money has let us down. 200 years earlier, who would have been doing the letting down? It would have been me. I bought things that didn't have the proper value, right? Right? I made some bad trades at the swap meet kind of thing. You know, I gave away my apples too freely and, and saved up for that one artichoke that cost $10. And oh my gosh, that was the problem because I wouldn't have got through the winter. Those kinds of things would have been obvious 200 years ago. What do we do today? We put it on our credit card. And then at the end of the month when the bills come, it's like, oh my God, I think it isn't just that our relationships with money have changed, or let me be more particular, I think it's how our relationship with money that's changed that has caused the problem we are no longer accepting responsibility in the understanding of our finances anymore. So very often, we just look at our budget from paycheck to paycheck. Now, I know we're all smart people, right? And so when the first paycheck comes out at the end of the month, I mean, we know that there are bills we have to pay. And so often in most of our households, that first paycheck, we think, oh yeah, right? Part of it's the, the rent, or part of it's the house payment, and, and I got to you know, there's the, you know, insurance bill that's come, and so we're kind of mentally jockeying this out, right? But then what do we do? We kind of spend the rest. And when the second paycheck of the month comes out, if you get paid twice a month, isn't it, doesn't it kind of work the same way? We're really mostly thinking about just that month, or maybe, maybe we're thinking, ah, the holidays are coming. Maybe, you know, maybe I want to save up a little bit. But for most Americans today, there's no winter that we have to get through in that old-time sense. There's no an intimate familiarity with our budgets anymore. And because of that, I think we have relegated this whole idea of budgets and money and checkbooks and credit cards into the realm of the other, into the realm of the enemy. Well, as you can imagine, this is a problem, right? How do we treat our enemies? We generally don't treat them so good. We would want, wouldn't we? Wouldn't we want to be on good terms with something as powerful as money? Wouldn't we like to think of money as a friend? i got to tell you, if you treat your friends the way most people treat money, they're not going to be your friends for very long. Right? It'd be like, what's up with you? Why isn't there enough of you? Why can't I do this? Why can't I do that? It would be that scary, needy friend that no one wants for very long. Right? So my thought, or at least one of my thoughts on money is, part of it's our languaging. If we hold this thing called money that is important in our lives, if we hold it at arm's length, if we hold it in that love-hate relationship, if we treat it with some disdain and scorn and, and or mystery... Because some of us, too, are just baffled by money. Don't really know how it comes, don't really know where it goes, right? If we did any of those things with our friends, we wouldn't be surprised if they weren't our friends anymore. If our friends found someone else to hang out with, I think that's what's happening I think sometimes the only thing wrong with money in our lives is that we've kind of tacitly said, I don't want you anymore. You're too hard to figure out. You're never there when I need you. And when we have those mental attitudes of something is not good in our life, it's skedaddles. I learned something about 10 years ago. I took a class called Financial Freedom, and it was right here in this center. Well, we, the building was across town, but what I learned in that Financial Freedoms class was that there's sort of three ways or three main relationships that we have with money, and I want to talk about them today. First of all, it's the relationship that we have with our paycheck. How many people in the room have direct deposit either for your paycheck or your Social Security check? Or Yeah, right, Okay. Do you have a sense of really being connected to that money? I bet you don't. I bet most of us just, I mean, we make sure that it got deposited, right? And many of us get a a check stub, although I'm told increasingly even the check stub is emailed to us, right? So we kind of notice it's there. But do we sit down and really connect the value that we have made in participating on the planet in exchange for that money? Or is it just kind of a transaction that happened? Well, I worked all month and I guess there's the paycheck for it. Do you see the difference? That is so different than raising those apples or making those candles and with love bringing them to the marketplace. The whole energy of it is either just flat and, and no heartfelt sense of exchange going on at all, or even worse than that. The, when the stub comes, it's like, oh, they took out more taxes than I thought. And we're right back into that negative thinking again. The other place that we have a relationship with money, not surprisingly, is what? Our bills. And I have to confess, I had a, so So I'm preparing this talk and, and something at our house happened that I just, it just made me laugh. So I'm preparing my talk in, in the living room and, and you, at our house, you can hear when the mailman comes because, uh, because he, you know, there's a little noise when the flipper goes up and down. And, and so I'm like in the other room and I go, so honey, did the mail come? And it's like, I could, even though I couldn't see him, I could see him. He was like. It's all bills. (laughs) It's like you didn't need to be there to really see him because you could see him anyway. It's all bills. And of course, I was laughing because what's a bill? A bill is a group of people or a person that has trusted me a whole month to use their products and services without a penny. And this is simply a statement of what they were blessed to loan me or allow me to use. Right? It's like I've used the electricity all month or I've used the water for two months in Portland. We, don't, we only get a bill every... Do you believe that? They trust me for two months with nothing. And then they, they send me a little statement saying what I have used of, of, of their wonderful product. Why is it that when I'm writing out checks to bills, I somehow feel like I'm being diminished. Do you see see the issue with this? Now, if we had gone to market, you know, 200 years ago, we go to market, and even as I'm giving the produce that we produced on our property, those beautiful apples, well, I'm receiving something in return, and we see it in each other's eyes. It's an even exchange of of not only the goods, but kind of the love and the the good intentions of, of health and vitality that goes with it. But if all I'm doing is getting a paycheck that gets Dropped in my inbox, on my email, and in my bank account, and on the other end, all I'm doing is writing some nameless and faceless checks in the mail. We've lost all that. And instead of having a great relationship around commerce, instead of bringing our love and our good intentions and the value that I provide to the planet and things like that, we've actually turned it us on its head. And instead, I somehow begrudge the checks I'm writing... And I don't even really think about the paychecks in. This is scary. Because when we treat money poorly, what's money going to do to us? Yeah. When we treat money with that idea of not enough, when we treat money with that idea of scorn or or outright thinking it's not on our side, then it will not be on our side. Finally, even in the area of our wallets or our pocketbooks, right? what are the exchanges usually like? If you listen a a little bit in the Safeway lines and the Fred Meyer lines uh, and people talking about their money, what is it? Well, there's never enough. Um, oh my gosh, I guess I'm going to have to put it on the card, right? It's all this lack and limitation that's going on, even within our, our personal checkbooks and our purses. Again, emphasizing that money is not going to be there for us, that there's not going to be enough, that it won't be there when I need it, that I'm short, all the different phrases that we use to say I'm not enough and money isn't enough. So the other thing I learned... 10 years ago, was how to combat these particular situations. First of all, with the paycheck, when I get my stub here, I hold it to my heart, and I say, yes, this was an amazing month. And I think about the sermons that I've done. I think about the visits to the hospital I've done. I think about the way that I have contributed to this beautiful community. And whether it's teaching a class or doing a workshop, I I internalize it. And I say, yes, this check represents my honest-to-gosh value in the world. And I am so blessed to receive it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I make a point of it, even if it's direct deposit, even if it's a check that I'm totally expecting, right? I mean, we pretty much expect the same amount, even two weeks. doesn't matter. It's beautiful, and it represents my gift to the world. On the flip side, on those bills, (laughs) you're going to really laugh, because I'm sure nobody sees it. I do bill pay online, but I notice that there's still a little place where you can put a note on the checks, and so on the electric bill, I say thank you for the use of the electricity, even even though it's all online. Now, do I actually know that anyone's gonna read that or anything, who knows, because I'm not doing it for them. I'm doing it for me. I'm recognizing that I am blessed to use the electricity, I'm blessed to have the water, I'm blessed to make the rent payment. The mortgage is a total blessing unto me in the same way that I have given of my value and received a paycheck, so do I value the many people and companies that have blessed me with their goods and services. It's truly a blessing. There are places where a lot of those Even utilities are not to be taken for granted. Places where, uh, well, in fact, we have congregants, right, that have to deal with well water and issues like that. Multiply that out by all of the goods and services that we receive. If uh, one person tried to do that all on our own, oh my gosh, it is a blessing. Finally, what I do with my wallet or my pocketbook, I brought an audiovisual aid. (laughs) Have you seen this in a while? It's a $100 bill. (laughs) And just in case you actually haven't seen one in a while, I blew one up just so you could take a nice look at it. We have our friend uh, Ben Franklin on there. And, uh, And it's a $100 bill. And what I learned 10 years ago was to always have this in my pocket, in my pocketbook, in my wallet. And I'll tell you why. It's because then, virtually always, I have enough to buy whatever I see. Now, I I realize there are things way more expensive than that. And, 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 you know, major purchases we figure out as a family and all that kind of stuff, as we should. But, by and large, when I just am popping into a Safeway store or a Fred Dyer, when I go in to to look at some clothes or whatever, in general, anything that I might want to buy, this $100 bill would cover it. Now, I haven't spent it, and so you might say, well, okay, tell me the purpose of this again. Well, where before I would have said, I can't really afford that, or the price of those Brussels sprouts is just too high, I'm going to do something else. Do you know what I say now? I say, of course I could buy that. I'm choosing to do something different today. Do you notice the difference? I'm not blaming money for my decision anymore. I'm taking ownership that my money that I have right now might be more wisely used. Just like 200 years ago, right? I might have said, well, instead of 10 pounds of sugar, I'm gonna get five pounds and we'll make some dill pickles. I'm saying there's nothing wrong with my value of life. I can always afford what I need to buy, But I'm making some good decisions for myself. And I'm not blaming money on it. I'm starting to treat money like it's a friend. And one of the things I love about the $100 bill, too, it's like, oh my gosh, it's Ben Franklin. Do you know anything about Ben Franklin? You would have loved to have him as a neighbor. He was like an inventor. He was a a crazy, funny guy in terms of the farmer's almanac and and poor Richards and some of the the amazing and crazy and fun things that he did. Uh, He made some marvelous inventions. He was a historian. He was an all-around honest and good and fairly well-to-do guy. And so whenever I'm thinking of money, I'm thinking of Ben Franklin. This is someone I can count on. This is someone that has a sweet and a rich view of life. Money is my friend. And I think one of the ways we can choose to make a difference in our own lives is with our languaging and what we think about money. And so your homework this week, I think, is fairly simple. I want you to take ownership of your finances. And by this, I would suggest that we no longer put the blame on money, right? We all have choices and the state of our financial affairs right now is based on our choices and based on our education about money so far. Well, we've already made it down in that second piece right now. I hope everybody has a little bit idea differently about money and how we treat it today. Let's start reflecting that in our language. So let's take ownership that's the first thing. And the way we can do that is through our inflow. Let's start blessing our paychecks, our social security checks, our disability checks, the, the funny checks that come in the mail, whatever it is, your inflow, let us bless it. Let's recognize personally the value in it. If it's something that you have done, recognize in yourself you created that value, that that paycheck is a direct result of you contributing to the largesse of the planet to the magnificence that is this entire system of economies and uh, and, and largest of scale. I, there's no longer a time when Star and I will trade apples and potatoes, but I want that sense of belonging and value to go back into our lives. So that's the first part of your homework. Let's look at those paychecks and bless them. Then the second part, the outflow too. Let's bless those bills. God bless them for giving us that electricity. How would you have made it on your own? I have no idea. Let's bless those bills. My gosh. It's part of the circulation of life. Someone just like you works in an electric company somewhere, and their paycheck is from us paying those bills. So even as we're blessing our paycheck, as we write our bill out, our check, or or doing our visa payment to someone else, we're blessing their paycheck. Let's keep that up. And then last but not least, let's remember Mr. Franklin here. Let us start choosing to not make purchases, not because we don't have enough, but because we're choosing to make wise decisions in our own lives. We're choosing to recognize that everything may have a different value, and simply I'm going to postpone that or make a different choice now. Not because I can't, not because money is letting me down, not because money is in short supply, Do you see when I say things like that, I'm making, what a terrible affirmation. Money's just in short supply. It doesn't grow on trees. It's hard to get. I have to work hard every day. Do you see what I'm saying? (laughs) Some of you are laughing, right? If you stack them all up together, they almost sound absurd, don't they? And yet, how often do we slip them in one by one by one in our daily conversation and never notice it? Money, my friend's, Can be your friend. And when we have created a new friend in money, when we begin valuing it, when we understand our own participation in the flow of money, then money will work for us. Money will be that friendly Ben Franklin. Money will be there when we need it. Money will be something we can count on. Money will always be there as we make great choices. We'll begin making better choices because our mood and our ideas of money and making investments in value will begin to improve. I'm going to close today with just a quote from from Eric Butterworth. This is how he ends uh, this chapter on money. He says, "...whenever you experience any evidence of the flow of substance in your paycheck, through investments or as you pay your bills or buy something at the supermarket, bless it. Determine that your money will always be a symbol of abundance, not of limitation. When you are firmly established in a balance of spiritual well-being, there will be a right and natural movement in your affairs." Wherein substance will flow forth freely in terms of money to enable you to experience life always and evermore with more abundance. Let us pray. There's one power, one presence, one life, one joy, one graceful nature of the infinity of the cosmos where everything is present all the love, all the life, all the material wealth, all the joy. All the peace, all of it, all of it in those arms and consciousness of God itself. And because this is true, because it is that big, it includes me. My life is just as blessed as the overall life and joy of the universe itself. And as it is true for me, it is true for each person in this room. Each person here is a center of consciousness and a consciousness that is willing to take a new look at this thing that we call money that money that is there for us, that money that represents our own value in the world, even as we value others, that money that we can bless and joyously hold up as something of utility to us, never something that we would deride or, uh, or decry. And so I am grateful on this day. I'm grateful for this new awareness of money. I'm grateful in recognizing that we can always count on our ability to exchange value on this planet, even as we put ever more value into our own lives. And so I let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you for being here today. So glad you're here.